word of the Lord. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like a sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. The word of the Lord. Amen. You can be seated. We'll dismiss our school-age kids to the back. Miss Robin with Heather back there. I ask the rest of you, um, if you brought a Bible or some kind of device, if you would open up to Matthew chapter 9. We're in a series called The Way of Jesus. I just feel this real strong stirring in my own heart this morning. We sang the goodness of God. And all of us in this room are in different places. Some of you are carrying really heavy burdens today. You're in the valley, you don't... struggling to breathe. You're doing your best to be here today. And others of you, you're walking on the mountaintops. This is the best, this is the best day of your life. The beauty of our Lord is that we can sing about his goodness from either place on the mountain or in the valley. I remember we were pregnant. Ashley was pregnant. I was a supporting uh, part in that. And uh, we had some good friends, the Skaggs. And she was pregnant at the same time. And uh, she got word that she got word that her baby about halfway through her pregnancy uh, was likely going to be stillborn. And um, we just, I mean, what do you do when you get that kind of news? You rally around your friends, and we fasted and we prayed. Elliot, they were going to name him. Did name him. And uh, Elliot was born, and he lived maybe just an hour. He passed, and we went to the funeral. Brandon and Sarah, celebration of life. We're down front. We sang a song that we used to sing. We don't sing it very much anymore. He gives and takes away from Job, but blessed be the name of the Lord. They'd gotten, they'd walked through the hardest time of their life. Both of them with hands held high. He gives and he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know the greatest thing, church, that you could experience this morning is just the steady love of God on the top and the bottom, in the thick of it, the steady love of God. This whole series about the way Jesus, I'm supposed to tell you today to go be an evangelist, that's what I'm supposed to tell you. But you know, we're, we're all evangelists for the things that we love the most. You don't have to be trained. You know, you know this is true. If the World Cup taught us anything, it's that grown men can sing, that grown men can act a fool because they got a vision of something that captured their heart and they gave their whole selves to it. 
And this is what it means to really walk with God. It's not this religious stuff. It's not this stuff that maybe you've experienced or walked through about just belonging to a church and showing up on a Sunday. Friends, there is so much more to walking with God. And we evangelize about the things that we love the most. For some, it's World Cup soccer. For others, it's fantasy football. Some, it's whatever the diet phase is right now. It's CrossFit. It's, it's whatever. I mean, go to the gyms right now. They're evangelizing whatever they're following right now. Now, they'll all leave. That's fine. I don't even go in January for that whole point. And because I probably wouldn't win anyway. But that's just like the little extra that's like, you know, do you really want to wait on a treadmill? No. The whole reason we do this series, this way of Jesus, is to give us a vision of what the Christian life really looks like. Not what you've seen or heard, but the way that Jesus talks about it, the the actual way of Jesus, the way he lived his life. It's a picture of what real life can look like. When Jesus said that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to give you life and life overflowing. As he would say in John's gospel, that I've come so you would have rivers of life flowing through you. That's, that's the vision of what this could look like. And then there's the formation of it. This is an honest look in the mirror of what our lives look like. And then what the life of Jesus looks like. Does that make sense? We like got the mirror on one side and the, and the word on this side. And we're looking ourselves in the mirror. And we're like, okay. We're looking at the word of God and what he promises and what he calls us to. And, and, we're, and we're looking at both of those things. This is this way of formation. It's like the age of YouTube. Anyone ever tried to fix your car on YouTube? <clears throat> it's actually pretty amazing. You can do more than you think and you can mess up a lot more than you think. You got the little video out and. They make it look so easy. You're looking at the little YouTube and trying to change your alternator, which, you know, everybody is evidently supposed to know how to do. I don't know how to do this. I'm looking at it. And it says, step one, remove your front tire. It's like, I didn't even know tires had to deal with this, you know. You're looking at this. And you're rewinding it again. And they make it look so easy. And then and you call your friend who's a mechanic. Say, hey, man, I need you to come tow this thing. It's not, it's not, this is not working. This is that way of formation when we look at, we look at the word of God. And we have an honest look at ourselves. Not just play in religion, not what other people think about us, who we really are. What are we really pursuing? We get this vision, this way of formation, and then this way of practice that we actually want to put into practice the things, the practices that are going to make us look like Jesus, that are going to give us the strength and power to operate like Jesus did. The way of practice is what I said last week that you... You plant what you want to grow. How do I put this way of life into practice? Somehow I ended up in a family of runners. They all run. It makes no sense to me. I don't know why people would do that. If you've ever seen Ashley running, she smiles while she runs. No one does that. She does it. She's out there just, I saw her yesterday, just, I'm on the treadmill, just like literally every ounce of effort in life. I've got spit and snot going everywhere. I'm trying to finish. Ashley runs by me, just prancing, just smiling at the world, you know. Family of runners. One thing about running is it takes a lot of practice to run, to run fast, to compete, both my girls compete in running at their schools. And so we, we ask these questions all the time. Well, we're going to go on, we're going to go on a trip. So the question is, all right, am I going to run before we leave for the trip or dad, am I going to get there in time that I can run once I get there? I was like, babe, can we just go on a trip? Can we, do we got to, because that's what, that's what practice really looks like. It's, it's, It's planting things in our lives that we want to see grow, that we want to see our lives flourish in this way. And that doesn't happen by osmosis. doesn't happen by buying the best books. It happens by putting these things into practice. And Jesus lived his life in these three directions we've talked about, up this intimacy with the Father, 
It all begins there. Everything begins there. Really walking with the Lord. And then in this deep relationships with other believers as they lean on each other and bear one another's burdens and care for each other. Scripture has 41 different one another's that we're supposed to live out. That's an inward relationship. And then the outward relationship that God is not doing this just for us. He's, he wants to kin- continue this work of salvation actually through us. That our church and your life is not to be a cul-de-sac, but a highway. Where what God does through you moves on even into other people. And this is what Jesus says in this passage that we read a minute ago in Matthew 9. Jesus has been healing people, healed the blind men. Raised a woman from the dead. His ministry's getting some synergy to it. It says in verse 35, he went through the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds and had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray, therefore, earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. We see a couple things in this passage. This is a real simple message. One, we see the heart of Jesus. The heart of God for the lost. God's heart's always been for the lost. It says here that Jesus had compassion for them. Compassion is heart moving. It's life altering. It literally, the Greek word's translated to be moved in one's bowels. Like if you ever got such bad news that it was like a punch to the gut. You could feel it in your throat. This is what Jesus is feeling right here. Compassion. And he's telling his disciples and inviting them that they would have compassion. Today, the whole point of the message today is to walk in the way of Jesus, is to have a heart for others. A heart for others. It's amazing in our passage that the heart of Jesus was moved to meet the needs of these people. He's meeting needs. He's healing the blind. He's healing the afflicted. He's preaching the gospel. But Jesus' heart was always for others. The reason that he condescended from heaven was so that we could be saved. This is why Jesus even said he came to seek the last, the lost, and the least. This is why he came. He came for us. We were the others. And Jesus' heart was always moved outward to others. Our hearts naturally grow inward, do they not? We want to think about our schedules and our times and what's best for me, maybe what's best for my family. That's natural. What's supernatural is when God moves in your heart to sacrifice what you want to do in order to invest in and do what's best and better for others. That's what this kind of love really is, that Jesus is trying to teach us to love others in this way. Our heart for others is able to look beyond ourselves and into the eyes of those around us and say, what is it that they really need? We don't come in announcing, oh, look, here we are. Everyone notice us. We enter a room looking at others and like, oh, there they are. There you are. Jesus was the master of this. He was the the master need meter. That's not a word, but if it was, it's, it's great theological truth. That's what he was. And you always see Jesus' approach is he always ties these two things together of declaration of the gospel and demonstration of how it works. Declaration of the gospel, our text says that in verse 35 that he was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. That's the declaration part. Translated to us, he's, he was proclaiming that God has a plan for your life. He loves you and has a plan for your life. But it didn't stop just there. It wasn't just the 
declaration. It was the demonstration of it. Jesus knows that their need, their greatest need is a spiritual need to be saved from their sins. But he also knows that their other needs are actually legitimate. And so he ties these two together. And this is how he operates in ministry all through the Gospels. You most often see these two things paired together. In our text today, he's proclaiming the kingdom and he's healing diseases. I grew up in an independent Baptist church in the South where we made much of gospel proclamation. We had visitation. We called soul winning back then. As we, you, you meet on Tuesday night or s- Saturday morning or whatever, you're going, going soul winning. We would knock on doors. Some in that old tribe were the ones with the sandwich boards and the megaphones in the middle of Mardi Gras declaring condemnation on the half-sober heathens that are passing them by. Those who were a bit more tactful didn't wear the sandwich boards. They just handed out the tracks that looked like a $100 bill. Have you seen those? What a letdown. You're like, oh, you thought this was $100. No, this is your way to eternal life. A little bait and switch. I mean, if you were a good Baptist, you had several different kind of tracks. You had the four spiritual laws, a little thicker, you know, if you needed just to really lay something down. Fast forward to today and you see many of my counterparts on the other side of the evangelical spectrum never sharing the good news of Jesus with anyone. They've rode to the pendulum swing to the other side and they've, they've, they've been convinced that people will repent of their sins and trust Jesus based upon their apologetic of niceness. Again, that seems a bit silly to me. It seems much easier but not very effective. The truth is like any of these issues, there's really a balance to it. Yes, sandwich boards and megaphones that focus on condemnation can actually be stumbling blocks to people entering into the kingdom. But so is the deafening silence of Christians who refuse to articulate the song we just sang a minute ago, what our living hope really is. And so our lives become like clogged pipes. Fresh water, the living water of Jesus running in us. But it's clogged with our disobedience and our closed mouths. Never sharing with anyone the good news of Jesus and what he's done in our hearts and lives. And that's why most of us never really see the abundant life that Jesus talks about. Because we say, Jesus, I really want to follow you and I want to get into heaven. And I'll even be nice and drink less. And show up a couple Sundays a month. I'll do those things. But I don't want you to have control. This is where where it stops. We want him to be Savior but not Lord of everything. So here in our text today we see this both demonstration and declaration of the gospel, the way of Jesus. And I pray that our lives start taking more shape along those same lines. Jesus, the master need meter he met people's physical needs this is a no-brainer that people have physical needs jesus often met physical needs when he walked the earth john chapter 9 is a phenomenal illustration on this we talked about this as we walked through john's gospel maybe a year and a half ago jesus and his disciples are walking along they see a blind guy they get in this discussion the the disciples ask jesus jesus is this guy blind because of his sins or because of his parents sins which is what oftentimes people thought. If anything bad happened to you, it was because you must have had something wrong in your life or some lack of faith or some sin. And Jesus walks over there and heals the guy. And if you don't know anything about Jesus and his miracles, he never healed, this, the, he never healed the same way twice because he, he didn't want us to follow after a method. And this, I remember as a, as a teenager, this being just, even as a kid, hearing this story was the craziest. It was one of my favorite stories of how he did it. You remember how he healed this guy? He walked over there. And he's spitting the mud. And he starts making some mud pies. And you can imagine the disciples around him are like, what, what is he doing? Like, the blind guy can't even see what you're doing, Jesus. Like, he, he has no idea what's, what's coming. And then Jesus takes these little mud pies and he puts them on the guy's eyes, the blind guy's eyes. And he says to the guy, go, go wash up, which is a good thing after you spit a loogie on somebody to ask him to go wash up. 
And he goes and washes, and the Bible says that he can miraculously see. He met his physical need. Remember, Jesus does the demonstration and the declaration together. The next day, he comes back around and meets up with this guy and introduces himself as the Savior of the world. The guy's life has radically changed. He meets physical needs. He meets emotional needs. Jesus made us. Colossians says he's the one that through him everything that was made was made. He knows we have an emotional need. Needs to be liked and understood, to be loved, to be respected, to be cared for. I mentioned Zacchaeus last week. This is one of the guys that God meets his emotional needs. Remember Zacchaeus and the, the wee little man? For those of you who didn't grow up in church, we used to sing this ridiculous song about who Zacchaeus was, making fun of his shortness. It's not politically correct anymore. We probably should lose it. But I, I know who Zacchaeus was, and he was a wee little man. And um, a wee little man was he. And the other important part of the story is he climbed up in a tree because he was a wee little man, so he couldn't see. Climbed up in the tree for the Lord he wanted to see. It's, it's great theology. It's not politically correct. It is great theology. Um, he was ostracized by the community, not because he was small, but because he was a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. He was a traitor to his own community, and everybody hated him. Imagine what the Benton Town Happenings Facebook page would say about this guy. Oh, man, they would have hated this guy. They hate your dog barking. They would have hated this guy, man. They hate when you pop fireworks after 9 o'clock. They would have hated this guy. Not only because of his stature and what he looked like, but because of his job, no one would let him see Jesus. Jesus comes cruising by and looks up in the tree, and there Zacchaeus is. He stops the whole procession. He calls Zacchaeus by his name. Side point, but God knows your name, friends. He knows your emotional needs. He knows the week you've had. God knows everything about you. He doesn't need you to fill out a connection card. We want you to fill out a connection card so we can pray for you. A couple weeks ago, you guys made the little fat heads of me and Jason, which was a horrible thing to do. Please don't ever do that again. I sure hope we didn't spend church finances on those things. That's... I have to stand before God one day and give an account for that. I just not want to do that. But Ellie likes to take it, Ellie and Hudson both, and put it in front of their face, and they do your little spill on the connection card. Like, hey, this is I'm Jason. I'm one of the pastors of the church. I don't want to bother you, or I don't want to. But we'd like to pray for you. And uh, I just, <laughs> I die laughing every time they do it. We, we do want you to fill out a connection card. Jesus knows your needs without filling out any cards. Scripture says he knows the number of hairs on your heads. Which means he knows, he knows you more than you know you. You don't even know that number. Psalmist says he knows your thoughts before you think them. That he was the one that was actively involved in knitting you together in your mother's womb. That's how much God knows you. He knows everything about you, your physical needs, your emotional needs, your spiritual needs. And Jesus did that with Zacchaeus, even though the crowd didn't like what Jesus did next. He called him by his name, validated who Zacchaeus was. Jesus saw him as somebody special. He went and ate with him. And at the end of that meal, Zacchaeus' life was radically changed forever. One of the greatest evangelistic tool is hospitality around the table. It just is what it is. It's just inviting someone to your home. Or you could pull a Jesus and invite yourself to their home, you know. Demonstration and declaration. He met his emotional need. Then there are Jesus, the master, need meter, met people's spiritual needs. People have deep spiritual needs. Sometimes it's the hardest ones for you to clue into, especially in our religious society where 
you may have grown up going to church and you know how to when to stand and sit and how to shake people's hands and call people brother and sister, which is kind of weird from the outside looking in for sure. Just this past couple weeks over Christmas time, uh, Hudson's been reading through the Gospel of John and he brought the Bible to me and he said, he brought that card in John, John 6 where Jesus says, you eat my flesh and drink my blood. And Hudson said, was Jesus a cannibal? <laughs> no, man, that's symbolic, bro. That's symbolic. Friends, you were created in the image of God. And then the creation story, after the first humans decided that they knew more than God knew, they sinned against God. And that opened a portal for the fallenness of mankind. They were kicked out of the garden. And ever since then, people have been looking for that fulfillment and love and understanding. And they look for it in a variety of different things in different ways. But there'll always be an emptiness until you really meet your maker. People try to fill this emptiness with money, and friends and toys and status. It doesn't work. Because that doesn't work, then they try to numb that feeling with alcohol and drugs, working too hard. I mean, you name it, we could put a list of 10 other things on there. But until you have that relationship with God, filling that spiritual need that you were designed to walk with him, for him to literally fill you, you're going to keep going through life looking for life that is truly life. truth is we have spiritual needs needs to be forgiven needs to be reconciled these things can never happen on our own this is where people confuse religion with a relationship with God and they think well if I go to church and I've always been a Christian or I go to this Catholic church or this other church and I say my prayers and I go to confession friends all that doesn't matter none of those things make you right with God people say all the time well, I'm, I'm very religious God doesn't want you to be religious. He wants you to walk with him in a deep, growing, thriving relationship. Jesus came to meet our greatest need, our spiritual need. A great illustration of this is the woman at the well in John chapter 4. It's very interesting. He goes to get a drink of water and he gives this, he meets this lady who's at the well and they start talking about being thirsty, and Jesus goes right after her spiritual needs. He says, hey, I can give you living water that, that once you partake of, that you will never thirst again. When that emptiness is not filled up, you're just going to be thirsty again for the rest of your life. But Jesus says, I can give you living water, and you'll never thirst again. Wow. Can you imagine? She's looking around like, what, where, where is this living water? This is amazing. He goes right after her spiritual needs. What's very interesting about this event is it took place as Jesus is talking to her. He says, hey, hey go and get your husband. And the lady says, I don't, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, well, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. And the one you're married to now, the man you're married to now, living with now, it's not, not even your husband. And her mind's a little bit blown about all that, all that Jesus is seeing in her, in her own life. But she didn't know really how to respond and so Jesus is offering her, he's, he's proved that he's this prophet and knows all these things. He's told her that he's going to give her living water. And what does she do? She doesn't ask him for the living water. You know what she does? She changes the subject. She says, you must be a prophet. Why is it all the Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place? In our modern day, it would be like, okay, if you're really a, if you're really a prophet, where should we really go to church? What's the best church? He goes on to change the subject. Here Jesus is talking about her past, saying, I'm going to give you a living water. I'm going to meet your greatest spiritual need. And she changes the subject. And that's just not her that does that. We do that all the time. I meet someone, talk about, share my faith with them, and they'll say, are you, are you reformed? Are you charismatic? What denomination do you belong to? What is happening during communion exactly? What do you believe about speaking in tongues? 
or homosexuality. They just, they just change the subject. Or sometimes when I'm preaching and you can feel the Holy Spirit really pressing on someone's heart, they start to squirm. They get out their phone, try to distract themselves, go to the bathroom 14 times, start playing with their kid next to them. Jesus is offering living water. He's offering, offering this mighty encounter with the living God through the work of Jesus on a cross. And we just want to just check social media one more time. Have you, have you ever thought that God might be just drawing yourself to him? Jesus meets her, this lady's spiritual needs, radically changes her life. As a matter of fact, she becomes this great evangelist, goes back into her city, brings all these other people back to Jesus, come meet the man who knew everything I've ever done. This is how God works, though. God always works through people. Look back at our text. Jesus is ministering to people in all the cities and villages, and he's teaching in the synagogue, and he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and he's healing every sick disease, every disease and every affliction in verse 36. And he sees the crowds, and he has compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And what does he tell the disciples to do? He doesn't say, hey, go get a bigger stage. Hey, you got some sound system that we can set up? Got a good worship leader around? I got this really cool new series I want to teach these people. No, he said, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out laborers. Jesus told them to pray, to pray earnestly. Our text describes Jesus going through these towns and villages. He's doing this work. He's raising this young girl from the dead. He's giving sight to the blind. He's surrounded by people pressing on him from all sides, trying to get his attention. And when he saw the crowds, he has compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Another translation says that he saw them as torn, or another says mangled. They have been beaten down by life and their own sins. They knew of no one to turn to for help and deliverance. But Jesus had compassion on them. The harvest was plentiful, he said. The workers are what's few. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say the worshipers were few. He didn't say the churchgoers were few. He said the workers were few. That was the critical shortage that was led to a passion to pray. There weren't enough workers to accomplish the great task that weighed on the heart of Jesus. The need, the Lord declares his need for workers to reap the harvest. If it weren't true, why did he point out the lack of them? This was, this was the point of this very passage. The Gospel of Luke has, records the same message. I think I have it on the screen. <clears throat> This same message with a little different angle. It says, The Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus spoke these words to a group of followers who were going ahead of him to prepare the way for his visit. When we see someone come to Christ, a life transformed by grace, we know that some worker somewhere somehow ministered the gospel to that person along with loving and caring and praying in such a way that that person would come to know Jesus. According to Christ himself, those workers are necessary for the kingdom of God to be extended. We want God to reach our city. We gotta, we gotta be a worker and we gotta pray for more workers. We gotta pray that that God would send workers. I've been saying this prayer almost every day since the church was planted. God, would you raise up and send out workers into the harvest field? Some of you didn't even know I was praying that. You were just sitting comfortably apathetic at another church. I've been praying for you. God, would you thrust workers into the harvest field? God begins stirring in your heart or for some other reason. and You're here now listening to this very sermon because God has just more for you. He wants to do something incredible in your heart and life. This is the idea of reaching the loss, a redemption of the people. This is not a new idea. This is, this is the whole idea that God came to even Abraham with. And we don't have time to go all into Abraham's story. 
But he gives Abraham this covenant, and it was both a promise and a challenge that in time Israel would become the nation that would be a light to all other nations. They were chosen to be a funnel for God's blessing, not a bucket just to fill up. But they didn't get it. On and on, we could talk about Joseph. He details how these chosen people fulfilled the Jewish mandate by crossing cultural lines and blessing the Gentile world with the love of God as they were in Egypt and then they would become slaves in Egypt. But they never really understood because when God blesses us, the bucket mentality is one that's hard to resist. As a result, Israel just kept focusing so much on the promise that was involved in neglecting the challenge to be a light to the other nations. For a while, that bucket mentality continued into the formation of even the church, the same resistance to living out that had plagued the Jews before Jesus continued through his ministry and even after. Many of them wanted to reach out to their own ethnic group. However, Acts 15, at the Jerusalem Council, the church leaders finally realized what God was doing, what he meant when he said from the very beginning that they would be a light to the nations. Jesus ended his ministry in the Great Commission where he told them to go and make disciples of all nations. Becoming a Christ follower means viewing everything in your life as something that is meant to be multiplied for God's kingdom. Even in the Great Commandment where Jesus says you need to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That word strength is the word very, the word veriness. You need, to, you need to love God with your own veriness. What that literally means is everything that represents you, all your resources are at the disposal for God to use to grow his kingdom. That's what it means to love God. It doesn't mean to do push-ups for God, love him with your own strength. It means to love him with everything about you. He blesses us so that we can offer those blessings back to him and then he can multiply those blessings in the lives of other people. He, 2 Corinthians 9.10, he who supplies seed to the sower will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of righteousness. Here's what he's asking you to do is be faithful with your seed. Plant what you want to grow. Why did God bless you so much? So that he could multiply that investment to multiply your seed. You see, becoming a Christ follower means a fundamental reshaping of your life. You look at everything you've been given as seed for sowing. There are two things you can do with a seed. You can grind it up and eat it. Or you can plant it. Friends, we need both demonstration and declaration of the gospel. This is the bedrock for living outward lives in the way of Jesus. It involves ordinary people and their ordinary flow of life intentionally seeking to minister the gospel word in demonstration and declaration in both word and deed. Let me just give you a little application and we'll be done. Remember vision, formation, and practice. Here's the practice. First point of the practice this week, friends. Fan the flame. You evangelize the things that you love about. You evangelize the things that have your heart. You got to fan the flame. That phrase is actually the Apostle Paul's phrase to Timothy in 2 Timothy. He starts in chapter, in chapter 1, verse 6. He says, Dear son Timothy, fan into flame. The psalmist would say it this way, to delight yourself in the Lord. There's something about fanning the flame or remembering the love of God as he's poured it down on your heart. Let me tell you how you really fan the flame. Do whatever you have to to make the word of God burn in your heart. 
You remember, you remember the two on the road to Emmaus after the resurrection? They're walking with the Jesus who had come back and they didn't notice it was him in his glorified state. And he breaks bread and they probably recognize his little prayer or see the scars on his hands and he disappears. They looked at each other and they said, didn't his words burn in our hearts? Friends, if you're really going to be a display of the gospel, to declare the gospel, to go and tell your coworkers and friends and neighbors that God loves you and has a plan for your life, it's going to be inauthentic at best if you don't fan the flame, if you don't get near the flame. Here's how I just do that in my own life. One, I try to get, I try to hear the heart of God every morning. And sometimes it takes longer than others. I remember when I was a young believer and I'd just been a Christian maybe a month or two and I went to my dad, you know, if you know my dad, he was a pastor. And I said, dad, I, I, I want to be God's man. I want God to use me. And he gave me this little biography of George Mueller. It's the first Christian book I ever read. George Mueller ran these orphanages in England in the 1800s, said that the first and most important duty of his day was to get his heart happy in God. And I think it's the duty of every believer since then. That is the thing that we do. It's what we go after, to make our hearts once again happy in God. Sometimes you can just open God's word and he just jumps out at you and you feel his presence and he surrounds you with his goodness and his love and it's just it's just thick in the room. You ever been there where just the presence of God is just there? That song we sang earlier that Lyle moved into, Worthy of It All. Man, when that song comes on my car, that's what I have to think. Is this, a, Lord, I need to pull over? Because my hands just start going up. I don't have hands on a wheel. Lord, you are worthy of it all. Sometimes in the morning, that's what it takes for me. I'm tired. The words, you're in Leviticus somewhere. They're not jumping off the page at you. You just need, you need, you need the song to kind of get you going so the word of God would just burn in your heart once again to make my heart happy in God. <clears throat> Listen, life has a way of just sucking the joy and passion out of our lives. It does. Difficult work environments, aging parents, the constant drip of bad news, toxic and needy people, our own health concerns, our friends who are walking through heartbreaking situations, just the stuff of life our own bodies that are falling apart, going to the doctor, listening to the news, not to mention any sin or consequences or any past trauma that seems to trigger us. Life just sucks the passion and joy right out of us. And that's why we have to fan the flame. That's why we have to make our hearts happy in God every day. <clears throat> so that what's on his heart will be on our heart. So make your heart happy in God. Fan the flame. You know, another way I do this is people. There are some people who are just, they just help me, my heart be happy in God. They just walk with God. They believe he can do immeasurably more than we can ask or think. They live with one of these kind of weird cadence rhythms that doesn't operate really well in this world. They kind of look like they're not even of this world. And make your hearts happy in God. Some of you in this room are that for me. I get around you and life has tried to suck joy and passion out of me all day. And then I get around you and you just remind me of what it means to walk with God again. And that he loves us and he cares for us and he's present. And he knows my name and he knows our needs. Friends, find, find those people in your life. You need those people in your life. You need to invite them in. You need to be honest about them when you're having a weary and dreary day where you're struggling to believe or you're just weighed down by life and the enemy just wants to tell us, oh, don't tell anybody. They're not gonna love you. They're not gonna accept you. They're gonna tell your stuff all everybody else. That's the voice of the enemy. Yes, be careful, of course. But get people around you before you or remind you of God's goodness. <clears throat> Second is environments. You need good environments. Listen, we, we, didn't get up, we didn't get here early today to, to, to do all this so that you could 
shake my hand at the end of her service and say, good job, pastor. We, you don't hear me pleading with you to show up every week just so I can feel better about the numbers in this room. This is not the church for that. We, we send everybody away. Yeah, just come on in. We'll greet you. We'll accept you in and we'll make you a church planner. That's what we do, man. We're going to send, you know, we're getting about that stage. It's time to send about 50 of you out to go plan another church. No, you know why this is important to me? Because this is, this is so important in my own life. When I'm weary, when I'm heavy, and I stand right down here and the worship starts and just singing with my faith family, my heart just moves from focused on all the things around me and it just moves up and begins to see what God's doing. Begins to get a greater vision of who God is. That's, <clears throat> that's what the environments are for. We had team get here at 7 o'clock and move risers off the stage and make sure all the toys back there were clean and set up the curtains and the sound, the stage. We got to do all this, set all these chairs up. And you know why they do it? So that you could walk in this morning in an environment and hear the voice of God. I mean, God's always speaking. There's nothing special about this gym. It's just that we've, we've tried to isolate We've tried to drown out all the noises of the world so that you could hear his voice. This is why I love youth camp too. Nothing special about youth camp. Man, there's a lot of things not special about youth camp. You know why I love youth camp? It's because teenagers put down their phones. They don't have to worry about anything else but hearing the voice of God. We got a disciple now coming up in a few weeks. Same thing with our teenagers. Just for a weekend, we're going to just put our phones away. Not have to worry about anything else but hearing the voice of God. It's amazing what those environments will do to your heart. Second point of application is just our yielded yes. I'm, I'm done. I invite the band to come back up. I've been using this word, this yielded yes. I think it represents our response to God. To lay our yielded yes down in front of him. First thing in the morning. We're making our soul happy in God. Then the tune, we're going to try to tune our heart like you used to on radio to the frequency of heaven. And maybe you would just be bold enough to pray this prayer this week. Lord, would you, would you use me today? Could I be one of those workers you talked about that goes into the harvest field? Maybe you'd tell the Lord. Maybe you'd make a commitment. Holy Spirit, as you lead and guide me this week, I'm going to follow you. No matter if it's weird or uncomfortable, if you tell me to speak up to someone, I'm going to, just, I'm going to speak up to them. You just kind of tune the frequency of your heart to the heart of God. Say, God, whatever you lead me to do, that's what I'm going to do. Maybe one of the best things you could do is write two or three names that you know, people who are far from God. You can lay your yielded yes down. You say, God, would you... Would you partner with me in reaching these people for your kingdom? And just see what God does. I'm going to pray over us in a minute. We're going to take communion. Our communion servers will come forward. This is an open communion. It means that you don't have to be a member of our church. But communion is reserved for only those who are believers, who have made a commitment to follow Jesus Christ in obedience. It's a beautiful picture of this very thing we're talking about, this invited in as God invites you in. You're partaking, literally ingesting a, a symbol of his body, his blood. Invited in. And you're going to go back to your seats. Eventually you're going to walk out these doors and you're going to be radically sent out to go share, to go and demonstrate and declare the good news of Jesus. I want to pray for us. Would you just bow your heads for prayer just right where you're at? And I just want you to do real business with God this morning. I, I, I believe the Lord's talking to some of you. For some of you, you got some sin issues. You think you know better than God. This morning, you just need to bring those to him. Others of you, your heart's apathetic. 
maybe from church hurt or disappointment. Maybe you're just walking in one of the weariest, most discouraging seasons of your life. And this morning you just, he knows you're there. Just invite him. God can't change where you're pretending to be. He changes the confession of where you are. Maybe you don't want to follow him. Maybe you're upset with him, mad with him, angry with him. You just, just tell him that he can handle it. Just be real with him. Maybe some of you, you haven't, you haven't heard the word of God burn in your heart in a long time. Maybe that'd be the invitation. That'd be your prayer, Lord. Make my heart burn for you. Some of you don't know him today. I'd love for you to meet him. Psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Maybe today's your day to meet the one who knows everything about you. God, I love you. I thank you for sweet moment of worship. Lord, I pray that you would work and move in our hearts. Lord, we be honest before you. Lord, you say to pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out laborers into the fields. Lord, I pray that you would send out laborers. I pray that we would be the laborers. That tomorrow, the rest of the day, we wouldn't live for ourselves. Inward, we would have a genuine heart for others. God, do what you need to do in our church. It's in your mighty name we pray, amen. We have a prayer team standing in the back. They'd love to pray for you. Maybe you got someone heavy on your heart and you just want to partner with them and say, hey, would you pray for my friend, my son or daughter, my cousin, whatever it is, coworker. Take as much time as you need. I'll be in the back if you'd like to pray. Communion's open. You come when you're ready. No rush. Let's not rush what God's doing.